Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you think of this year's Chittister Lecture Series at Mercyhurst University with a one-woman play and then reflections by you? I know it's a little different format this year. It is a little different format. We, we will have the regular discussion afterwards. That's important for people to realize that. There will be a, a, a full discussion at the end of the issues that were raised, etc. Um, what do I think about that? Well, you started with the very right question because uh, they had a hard time convincing me that this should happen. Uh, I, I was totally opposed to it. I mean, just absolutely not. Why? Uh, uh, there, we had a strange discovery happen. Uh, it's part of your story, actually. Uh, this young woman's mother and I were in the first four grades of school together and lost contact until she showed up at a speech in Chautauqua. And they were taking me off stage for a book signing and I saw this young woman stretching and calling and just Sister Joan, Sister Joan, Sister Joan, I have to talk to you. And the keepers were trying to move the program, but there was a different look on her face. There was something about this young woman that was different than anybody else in the audience. So I, her arm was reaching out like this, and I dug my feet and reached back just to take her hand. She was so intent about something, I felt, I, it's... I always feel, Dana, that if people make that kind of effort in anything, somebody has to acknowledge it. You can't just ignore that. So she said, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. Well, honey, I, I can't talk to everybody in an audience of three and 4,000. I cannot do that. So I said, well, maybe someday, like this, and she said, no, you don't understand. I said, what don't I? And we're moving all at the same time. And she's shouting over the head of the crowd, and she said, my mother was Betty Novak, and I stopped on the spot. So time goes by. She is an actress, has done playwriting. Uh, her mother had insisted that her mother had followed me. Okay. Never ever made a contact, didn't know how to make a contact, but told this young woman about this Joan Chittister and that she should follow her. And so she was quite aware that this was really an, a, 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 a moment for her mother. She said, it's got to be, it has to be Joan. That's a strange name. Who else? I believe it's Joan. And so I got a letter 
the, the young woman, I find out later, goes out and makes this contact, has the address, does all these things, and her mother writes to me. Beautiful little letter. But Dana my, and I answer mail. But the problem is that my answers are often three to four to five months away from when I get the letter. I carry mail with me around the world to work on on planes and things. But the funny thing is that if it's a, a letter that is really personal, I will put it aside. Now, I know that's probably silly, but I put it aside to give it the attention I think it deserves. If somebody says to me, and I get a lot of these, could you tell me how to get published? The easy answer is no, I don't have a clue anybody gets published. But if somebody's talking to you about their life and they've gone to this trouble, I just am, I'm constitutionally incapable of, of uh, not responding to that in some way. And so, it took me a while, and I wrote back, and then I got an answer. Betty had died just before the letter came. So her daughter, who has written this play, has been following me for years, uh, taught a non-history by her mother, and f felt there was this was important, it was really important, and when she discovered what the story was, knew how important it was, and has been, you, have, you, have you looked up her website? I haven't. Well, you better. Okay. She's a story. If you look up, I think it's just terrybays.com, okay. you will find out she has given this play from one end of the United States to the other. Oh, wow. This is not a first time at all. And where do, you, where do you read the reviews that she's gotten in those places? So my staff said to me, Joan, what I'm saying to you, look this up. And then what they said is, Joan, this is eerie. And you are going to, you, I can't stop her, Dana. This is her work. It's not mine. I had nothing to do with this. Except she said, I promise you, when she told me she was doing it, she said, and when I'm done, I will send you the script. And, but I'm the kind of person, I would, I would check that script only for, uh, is it factual? Is it true? If it's not true, I will not endorse it. And I think I remember that you told me that you don't read things that other people write about you. Never. Ever. 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 And that's amazing you'd remember that because my, my staff knows it's true. Everybody around me knows it's true. I, don't, I, I won't touch it. I want nothing to do with it. So see, I hadn't, I hadn't looked her up, but they had, and they said, Joe, anybody who looks up her website will realize. And she said, what are you going to say to the city? Everybody else is allowed to see this, but you won't permit it in Erie. And I said, you, you are asking for more humility than I can muster. <laughs> and they said, well, it will be good for you. <laughs> So that's how she got here, but ha having said all that, I want you to know that I said on one condition, and that is that she come to Erie, that we have uh, a select audience. We select, my staff selected about 40 people, lay and community, 
uh, and uh, some semi-professionals in the crowd. And she gave the play to that little audience of 40 or 50 people over at St. Mary's Center now. And every one of them came out saying this. I thought when I went into that that it would just be, I wouldn't be able to stand it. And I came out crying. So she's, she's touching something in everybody. Listen to the title, Joan Chittister, Her Story, My Story, Our Story. This, her, she has written something that transcends the personal, but makes the personal real for everybody in that room. That's all I can say, Dana. That's all I can... Uh, mm. Now, were you at that performance? I was. With the, with the I was, and if you and... think it wasn't with an eagle's eye... <laughs> And when, when, when it came out, when we came out, I looked at people, I just looked, I said nothing. And the staff said to me, Joan, you can't say no to that. And I said, well, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible risk. This is, a, this is a series I love and I've committed myself to because of the ideas. Um, this one meets the criteria for quality and for content, as far as I'm concerned. But I, I suggest uh, that part of your, your own uh, uh, communication of it include her website, because it shocked me. I didn't expect it. So... And you mentioned... Um the uh, the woman who wrote the play is Terry Bays. The title of it is Joan Chittister, Her Story, My Story, Our Story. How is your story our story? Well, <laughs> um, my, my story, um, at least in this situation, like, like a lot of other literature I, I recognize of all media, uh, universalizes what is a universal um, secret. It's, it's what every family knows, and at least until this time, few admitted. And I would argue that there's still plenty going on that is marked classified. And, in, and especially... And I'm, I, I, I want to watch this sentence because though I, I, I was about to say, especially in a woman's life, I correct myself on that. It, women are the subject. They, they are, they are the, the victim of a social lie, of a lie that is bred into our society. And it is not a lie that... Um, demonstrates the weakness of our institutions. It demonstrates the weakness in every family. And I'll tell you precisely what I mean by that, Dana. You have to realize that, that uh, the abuse of women, women beating, the diminishment of women, the demeaning of women, is built into our language. We call women animals, cows, 
birds, dogs, bitches, and our sons hear it. Uh, our, our sons hear their fathers tell sexist jokes, make sexist remarks, and we wonder why this never stops in any generation. Now, I am not saying, please, I don't ever want to give the impression, like, like we used to say, you know, some of my, some of my best friends are male feminists. Mm -hmm. They are what proves to me that my dream is possible. I know those men are out there, and I know those men will see this or read this or talk to me, and they agree. But what they don't do, by and large, is confront other men. Now, are we, are we getting better? Answer, yes, and alternatively, no. How do I explain that? I explain it in this way. What is better for the first time, certainly in modern history, and I would argue I, I'm, I'm, I've got a pretty good uh, reading background in the classics, uh, let alone international literature. And it's, this has been here in every culture over time. I realize that. But for the first time in history, it has become a public, civil question. That, that is the miracle of the moment. But it is of the moment. I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, with this kind of abuse going on in my own life and family. And remember running into the streets at 2 a.m. in the morning at the age of 11, calling for help, and there was no help. When I did it the second time, uh, some months later, we had no phone, we had no car, I had no access to uh, help from a family, uh, let alone from, from civic society. And, but this time, someone must have heard me calling because the police came, the Erie police came. And do you know what they did? I was absolutely certain when I opened that door as a little girl and saw two policemen standing there, that now everything would be solved. They would stop this. They, they would punish this. They would end this. And there'd be no more fear. And there'd be no more pain. And there would be happiness. They took my father into the kitchen I listened down the hall, and what I heard was what that woman heard who testified in the Kavanaugh hearings. And what I remember is the boys having a good laugh while they teased my father and clapped him on the back and told him, in essence, to be a good guy. And we never Never. There, there were, at, at, when I grew up in this town, there was no shelter. Mm -hmm. there, there was no woman's hotline. There was no sense of the felonious nature of woman beating. Nothing. Do you realize that there, there, there was a judge, an English judge, Black, Blackthorne, who, uh, who described the legal dimension of women beating, woman beating this way. It was perfectly legal 
and, and uh, welcome in the society for a man to beat his wife as long as what the instrument that the, 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 um, yeah, the instrument that he used, the weapon that he mm -hmm. used, was no bigger around than his thumb. That's where we get that statement. That's where we get that whole reference to the thumb as a measure of violence. So, it, are things better, at least uh, um, in those ways, in the United States? Yes, yes. But what isn't better is that we are failing to identify that the roots of this is in every home in this city. And it lies in the difference. Uh, uh, and men, will, men will teach their sons that there are two kinds of women, and one, one of those kinds of women they're allowed to beat. They're allowed to abuse. Not your mother, not your sister. But what good is that, Dana? What is that teaching? There is still a part of humanity that is subject to oppression, and nobody will care. Why do you think our sisters have been going to the sites of violence in this city, in Erie, Pennsylvania, re-sanctifying that land because nobody else is going to do it for those women? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, why did I allow this departure or apparent departure? Uh, because I have to do my part, we have to do our part to rip away the veil of silence, to realize that this can happen in the most unusual of places. How many people in Erie, Pennsylvania, do you really think that Joan Chittister grew up in this house, in this kind of a situation? And I can't call for a public conversation without breaking the silence myself. So I wonder how many lawyers' wives in this city would have the same. How many, how many doctors' wives? How many teachers' wives? How many bosses' wives? How many CEOs' wives? Joan Chittister. Her story, my story, our story. And all, all I, uh, yes, it's, am I happy about this? Will I be, you bet I'll be there. Am I look? You know, if the women, what would you like to say to those women who do come up to you and say, it's my story too. I've been through this. I've experienced it. You know, how did you survive? How did you get through it? Well, what, what are you saying? What do I say to them? I, I ask them where their support system is. I ask them what their own ability to deal with the subject out loud is. I ask them if they've ever talked to a professional. And I encourage all of that. I also ask them what role models they've had. Mine was my mother. A strong, strong woman. Doesn't sound like it, does it? But oh, God. She gave in to nothing. 
and she and taught me. <laughs> now, was it both you and your mother who were the victims of the abuse? I was never hurt. Okay. Uh, only okay. once there was there was a, an incident once. Uh, it was never aimed at me, but I was in the middle of it because okay. I was protecting her. Okay. And I think more children do that than you can imagine. I know all the stories show the children being moved off to another room or another floor or another bedroom or another relative. I don't believe that's true. I think these things erupt very quickly and there's no nice planning for them. There are more children who, who uh, are traumatized as children who spend years working through it, at least secretly and silently. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, your father died when you were a child. So was this your, My your stepfather. birth father? This was your stepfather. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, you're good, girl. That's right. And, you know, was it something that you dealt with your entire childhood growing up? Or was there a certain period when this started and ended? No. It okay. was just... It was part of the fabric of life. Okay. No, I'd love to be able to say no, uh, when when she left him, when we left him, I rem I was in fourth grade, and I had oh such hope, fear fear getting out of town that uh, that that he 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 would be coming home from work at the time that the truck would be moving out. Mm -hmm. Very frightening. I mean, to this day, it's as if I'm sitting in that truck, hunched over, for fear he'd see me. Because if he saw me, he'd know instantly what was going on. Mm -hmm. So I was afraid there, but the minute that truck moved out of Ambridge, I knew that we were free, that this wouldn't happen again. And of course it did. He found us. And uh, you have to realize that... that uh, at least in those days. Not as bad now. This is a second thing that has, has uh, changed mm -hmm. to the better. Um, it's changed to the better, I think, for professional women. I don't know if it's changed for the better for the women in my block, mm -hmm. and the women where I live. Uh, they may have jobs, but I'm here to tell you, 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 do, the, you do the numbers, Dana. If you have three kids, and you're getting twelve fifty an hour. You tell me when you move them. Uh, you have to have. Uh, you know, I, I always say, people will say to me, how do we know if a, if a piece of legislation is good legislation? I said, it's easy. A, read it. B, study it. And then ask yourself the question, who is being advantaged by this piece of legislation? Who is being disadvantaged. What kinds of people are being disadvantaged? And then ask yourself, if, uh, d d are, are you trying to tell me that God wants food stamps for some people but not decent housing? We've done enough. We've done enough. So it, it's a class, it's a class issue mm -hmm. in that at a certain level, a woman now, most women, 55% of our women, are capable of finding themselves a small apartment, paying for it themselves, and 
and, uh, and living independently. But if they have one child, two children that go with that, I'm here to tell you that whatever they're making is now going into child care because we're the only country in the, in the civilized world that does not have a national support system for, the, for, for children in any situation, but especially for the single mother. Especially. It's a sin. We call it a democracy. We call it civil rights. We call it freedom. We call it a beacon of, of public uh, 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 concern. It's none of those things. So how was your mom thinking that or expecting to take you and leave and survive? Did you have any sort of support system? And, no. And, you know, what, what era are we talking? Zero. What, uh, uh, 1945. Okay. Might have been 46, but I don't think so. Might have been okay. 46 the year after the war. But I, I could check that oh, out. Okay. No, good okay. no, we had no support system. Okay. I found out later she borrowed $100 from her sister who had who was in a stable home and whose husband had a, a manager's position in some major uh, food chain, I think. And she paid that back <laughs> for years. And she had a nephew in this town who said that we could come and uh, they had nothing but an apartment on mm -hmm. Sobiski Street. And, um, but we could come and live there until she could get a job and, and we could move someplace else. Uh, and uh, she got a short-run job at GE, uh, wrapping coils, if I remember correctly. Wow. <laughs> but... Um, It wasn't enough money to, and, to find a place. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's after the war. There are no places except very, very high-scale uh, options and opportunities. And so she was trapped. Women are trapped. They're still trapped in general. And so it's um, it, it's 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 a it's a part of a warp and a woof. I mean, it's, it's a part of the fabric. Mm -hmm. And you start pulling one string, and the rest of it falls apart. And this is a woman who says what my mother said. I want you to have, I, I want you to work very hard in school. You, you, have to, you have to do very well in school, Joan, because if you do, then you can get a, a scholarship, and you'll be able to take care of yourself. All she cared about was that I, I'm an only child. There was nobody else there, zero. And furthermore, I used to worry about coming home from school that I might find her dead. That it was a, that it was a continuing, continuing fear in my life to come back home after a period out. And so I know that this country and this world is full of those children. And by God, if you can't think of the women, would you at least think of the children? You mentioned that you left in the truck, and then he found you. Did you end up back with him, or were oh, he you moved able here? To? Okay, okay. So, and here. you came here. It was from Ambridge, Pennsylvania, that yes. you came here from. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then, did they end up getting back together? Or oh was yes, your mother no, yes, yes. Okay. It was okay. months, but. 
he found us, and and uh, and in those days it was harder to find anybody because right. you didn't have the electronic connections, you know. So I suppose it was three or four months. Okay, took him. And did things go back to what they had been before? Or they seemed to be difference? all right for a short while, and then everything just reverted. Okay. And, you know, did it ever end? When did it end? Well, I went to the monastery. And my mother wasn't a complainer, but I, I knew it was still going on. I, I knew from her. And I, I remember it was the only point in my, in my life when I thought I would have to leave the monastery to go home to take care of her. Uh, so I knew, I knew that the, the situation was still very bad. But then, um, he was in an automobile accident on Christmas Day in 1971, and he did not survive it. But then, ironically, one year to the day, one year to the day, on Christmas Day the next year, my mother went into some sort of congestive uh, lung problems mm -hmm. and uh, was in the hospital for over 30 days. Wow. And then uh, could never really, after that, uh, Went into Alzheimer's mm -hmm. for 28 years. Sorry. And so uh, I had always intended, by that time my own life was changing and I, I knew that there was a change going on. Mm -hmm. And down deep inside me I said, I'll be able to take my mother to places that she would never ever get to. didn't work. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But you know, I've always thought that, you know, mom saw, mom saw that, uh, saw me get that education, uh, saw me happy. I, I'm, I am sure that she looked at me and said, you know what the scripture says, no Demetrius, now thou canst dismiss. I, I've done my job. She's all right. And you know, but there's, there's a point that has to be made here. My mother wasn't a man-hater and neither am I. And it, one of the great gifts of my life are the men whom I know to be feminist men. And um, I, I meant it when I said, they prove that my dream mm -hmm. is real. And so I, I am not, the funny thing is, I'm not jaded about men or marriage. I don't belong in either, but, but uh, I, I wanted to be happy, you see. I know that, the, that the, 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 the essence of happiness is there, but I 
keep reverting to the fact that this is a social evil. We have not addressed it, and we do not see it in its particular form in the home. We socialize our daughters into fear. No, you can't go out. No, you can't go down that street. No, there's no way to get you home. My brother goes. Yes, your brother can go. That's mm -hmm. different. We, uh, the most dangerous place for an American girl right now is on a college campus. It's where, it's where the, the, the rape rate is so high. Mm -hmm. she, can't, she can't work at the library until uh, uh, 1 a.m. and be sure she can get back to her dorm. Oh, yeah, they've added some security police, but girls are still telling us that they make reports and nothing happens to the reports. So, as, as the proverb says, if this is what they do in the Greenwood, what is going on in the dry? If these are your outstanding intellectual institutions, and this is where they, they credit a woman's uh, uh, issues. I mean, no, no wonder we have women standing up saying, I've had enough. And having gone through all these experiences, how did that shape you? How did it influence your work in the years since and your writing, particularly for peace, for justice, for women's issues? Do, do you think you would have tackled the same subjects had you not had this experience growing up? Probably doubtful. Probably for the simple reason that that the women who aren't in the situation fall easily, or at least at one time did, fall into the trap, that uh, the male trap, she deserved it. I'm a good woman. I, I did, I, that's never happened to me. Uh, look at what she was wearing. Look at where she was. Look at what she said. Look at what she didn't do. He didn't like his egg cooked hard. So it was they, they, they themselves were insulated and bought the old answers, mm -hmm. most of them, until, you see, this became, began to be a subject with clamor in, in, uh, in uh, what are you doing in this room? You are part of the answer. At least you are part of the truth. But you'd have never written this story 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. The great social secret had smothered the truth as well as the development of people. You know, um, one, one of, the, one of um, my foundational principles is this. That's why I'm sitting here today. And that is... Break the silence, tell the secret, and it will stop. When a woman gets up in the morning, uh, calls the Times and says, my husband is the CEO of uh, the fifth largest uh, industry in Erie, and he beat me black and blue last night, and I want you to print that in the paper. 
If I have to pay for the ad, I'm putting it in. It'll stop. It'll stop. But we're not doing it enough, and the, and apparently the, the social conscience itself is still the problem. It's not a problem to us. We, we, we have abusers of women all the way to the White House, not just once, but over and over, and, it, and this, this country doesn't seem to care. They do not see character as a component of leadership. And I don't understand that. Because if you'll abuse one, you'll abuse anybody that, that, that it is that advantages you. So all I'm saying is, this thing is deeply rooted. It runs across all society horizontally and vertically. And it is not, it does not come simply out of alcohol or drugs. It's a social attitude. And when I begin to hear men calling men about this issue, I'll begin to think that this is well on its way to being cured. What are they teaching in boys' schools? What, what, uh, what does the uh, football team, what does the coach hear or say himself? And uh, the, the, uh, the things that used to be called dirty talk are now just called locker room talk. It's code. You see, you see, it's day after day after day in our newspapers, so-and-so NFL star, so-and-so WBA star. I mean, I, and, and nothing happens. Now, Joan, be careful. It is beginning, that an awareness. It's an awareness, but it's not a criteria yet. It's not. It all depends on who the coach is, whether or not that's tolerated. It depends on who the CEO is, whether or not that's tolerated. But we will not be a full civilization until men are civil, fully civilized and women are allowed to participate in that civilization in a civilized way. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.